So this is a case of uh, Mr. Eboy stepping up when Josh was kind of frantic about who's going to take over worship when I'm gone. So thank you so much. That was so wonderful. And I will reveal to you that I am sort of old. In this last month, um, I turned 65, and I, we celebrated yesterday 45 years of marriage. Um, and so I, I am old. And because of that, I do really, I grew up with most of those songs, and we don't sing the hymns a lot. Um, and the, the, some of the new, you know, worship choruses, they have a wonderful message, and, and they're, they're more contemporary. But it's nice, isn't it, once in a while, to go back and sing some of those old hymns. So thank you for that. Thank you for choosing those. And never forget, I'd like to, man, if I could, I'd, I'd just say, give me that clicker, let's go back and, and take a look at every one of the lines of those songs. You just sang something, and there was some amazing promises in there. There were some things in there to think about the old rugged cross. I'm going to exchange that someday for a crown. You recognize that? That's us. Okay, so the cross, and we're embracing the cross. We know what Jesus did because at some point, he's going to relieve us from all of this stuff that we're going through now. This is, this is what happened to me last week. I don't know how I'm going to make this work. We'll see. Um, thing just doesn't want to stay in there. I hope you can hear me. If not, I'm going to go get a stool and sit up so I can stay close to the microphone. Anyway, those hymns have some wonderful things in them as far as messages. So when you're singing, take a look at that. You know, sometimes it's like, oh man, I just have to remember how to sing the next thing. So I'm so focused on just singing the, 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 the word, singing it, that I forget that there's a message here. Somebody sat down and, and with God's inspiration, hopefully wrote those words so that we could have a message and, and we get to worship using those words. That's so, so great. Thank you so much again. And we're so blessed to have you step up and do that. Um, okay, let's, let's have our kids come up. All of you that are kids, yeah, or want to be kids or used to be kids, How are you today? We have some visitors. This is from Rhonda and Sam's kids came to visit from Missouri. So thank you for making the trip. We are so privileged that you would fly all the way just to be here today. Yeah. I'm guessing they flew. I mean, Paul brought them. So thank you, Paul. Yeah. And Paul Salee is here. So say hi to him. So good to see you. Yeah. So anyway, you guys, what, what a wonderful thing this is. Now, yeah, you think it's the same thing from last week? I used the same box, but it's actually a different lesson. So why don't you come around front and sit down? We're going to go through this. How, you know, how do you ever ask yourself, maybe you don't, do you ask yourself, I know your parents ask it, why do you do what you do? I know my wife's been married to me 45 years, and she's been asking that question for 45 years. Why, goodness, what in the world do you do what you do? But we all do stuff, and somewhere in our little brains, we, we decide to do something, right? Instead of doing one thing over here, maybe we decide to do something over here. All of us do stuff. Sometimes we don't think about it, and that, sometimes that gets us into trouble. But sometimes we think about it, and we decide to make a choice. How many of you make choices? Sure. Did you decide what? I do Netflix and a web game. 
Yeah, all of that. And you, how many decided what you're going to have for breakfast? Or did your mom and dad decide for you? Yeah. Well, sometimes people decide for us. But every day we're faced with choices, right? And, and so, and God knows that, and there are good choices and there are bad choices. And so God has a way for that to work so that we make good choices that are his plan, because God has a plan for every single part of your life, every single one, and every one of your lives. God has a plan for you. And he tells us what his plan is in his work. But do we always do what God wants us to do? No, we don't, and I don't either. So I needed a volunteer, so I asked Mr. Paxton before the service if he would volunteer, because it involves wearing a blindfold, and I didn't want to scare him. Um, but you are going to have to trust me, so you're going to stand up here. All right, now I'm going to put that on. You're, you're, I'll let you put it on. Okay. So I don't want you to see this until, yeah, so. In front of you, Mr. Paxton, and you're going to have to trust me on this one, okay, are seven little dishes full of things. One of them is something really good to eat. Are you, you don't have a chocolate allergy, do you? Nope. No, okay. All right. All right. So, <clears throat> the rest of them are not. Okay. And so, you're going to make a choice of which one of these things you want to try to eat. So, first thing we're going to do is, now, can you see? Uh, no. No. In fact, I, no. Okay. So, do you think it's great to make, no, oh, I forgot to tell you this part. You only get one choice, and there's really severe consequences if you make the wrong one. Okay. Um, so, is it really good? Here, I'm going to take your hand. I'm going to have you touch each one of them. Two, three, four, five, six, seven. Is it good to make a choice when you can't see any of the options? Uh, not that good. Yeah, unless you're on the dating game or something like that. But, um, so... God says, you don't need to do that. I'm going to give you, you don't have to be blind. I'm going to give you what I want you to do. And so we don't have to do it blind. But can we trust our feelings sometimes? Can we trust our feelings to decide what's the right thing to do? No. Okay, so this is a different kind of a feeling. But I'll let you put, put your hand in there. Just touch what's in there real quick. Okay, oh, now what about this one? All right, and now this one. Now that, ooh, ooh, that one's gooey. Okay, now that one. Now this one. Now this one. Now, only one of these is good. In fact, one of them is poison. Um, do, you, do you feel confident making the choice using your feeling? There's only one. And one of them actually looks good. Now, go ahead and take off the blindfold. Using our feelings isn't usually very reliable. In fact, we know we can't rely on our emotions or our feelings to decide what we need to do right. So now, here's the deal. You can see, but one of these, two of them look like they're good, but one of them is poison. One of the ones that look like, so which one's looking at them now, which ones would you decide? Remember, this has some really severe consequences if you only get one choice, and if you choose wrong... What about this one? Does that look good to eat? What about this one? Does that look good to eat? Well, this one looks good to eat. 
but it's got poison in it. That's like a lot of things that we see. So can we rely on what we see sometimes? Because when we see sometimes, it looks fun, and it looks like it would be cool to do, or maybe it looks like it would be enjoyable to eat or do other things. Can we rely on that, or how should we make our decisions? Now, I know which one of these is the right one. And if I was God, where would you want to go to make sure you made the right decision of which one of these you're going to eat? Yeah. Would you ask God to direct you? So I'm going to do that. I'm going to, now, I'm going to direct your hand to the one that you can eat right there. That's the one. All right. Go ahead and have one. In fact, you can share one. You guys can have one, too, if, as long as you don't have a chocolate allergy and it's okay with your parents. Don't eat any of the other ones, though. No, no, you can't eat that one. No, that's, that's bad. All right. Just one. No, no. That has poison. No. That one. That one right there. No, that's Just one. Go ahead. Just take one. Okay. So what's the point here? We have to make decisions, and the only decision-making process we can really trust is when God directs our choices, right? So it can look good, it can feel good, it can sound good, but unless it's God's choice, most of the time we choose wrong, and it leads to some bad things. Now, in this case, there wasn't really poison in any of them, but... But it wouldn't have been good. No, those actually are good. I like them. That's why I didn't want you to eat them so I can take them home. <laughs> okay, very good. Very good. So now you guys get to go downstairs and hear your lesson in children's church. All right. Thank you very much. Did you guys want to get in here and get some of this? No? Okay. Thanks for coming up. Okay, so I don't know how this is going to work. We'll see. I love doing. I love doing that. Seeing those little eyes looking up is so great. All right. So, what's obedience got to do with it? And if you were here last week, you understand that that I didn't get through this. And so, we're going to pick it up in the middle. Uh, we were looking actually at three through eight. And some of you, maybe you had a pool going. Is he really going to get through six verses? And and if you if you were on the side of no, um, you, you won. Um, and so this is kind of a, it's an interesting topic, right? Sexual integrity. And so you think, oh, gosh, couldn't he have gotten through that in one Sunday? Because it's a little embarrassing. Do we have to do it again? Yes, you do. You have to do it again. Um, so I'm going to go back through and look at it from last time. This is a topic that, that needs to be talked about. Sexual impurity has existed basically since the beginning of the fall. And yet, you know, and, and there, there have been times throughout history where different social norms are there. And, and things are maybe more socially acceptable than others. And, you know, we had the Puritan era and... I know the sin was still there, but it's just under the surface maybe. But now we live in a culture where 
everything is sexualized. And everything emphasizes this. And the cultural norm is so far from God's plan for our lives in this area it's, it, that it, 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 it's becoming more and more of a problem. And unfortunately, more and more, of, if you look at all the statistics, more and more of a problem among Christians as well. And so it's something, we're going to talk about it. I mean, I think I gave you a list last time of how many times this subject comes up in Scripture. I preach through Scripture. If it comes up, I'm preaching on it. Okay, so I'm not guaranteeing this isn't coming up again because there's quite a number of passages. I don't know where we're going next. But I don't pick this because I wanted to talk about it today. I'm preaching through the book of First, and then we're going to go into Second Thessalonians. And this subject is in there, and it's in there because God has a plan for it. And it's in there because God has a message for us about it. And it, and it basically is, there's no place for this in the new you. I have taken you from the old you, and I'm building you into the new you, and the new you has integrity in this area. Okay, so we look at that and, and in verse 3. So let's take a look at some of the things that we read about last week. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. And then he goes right on to say, I mean, he's hooking this sanctification, which is the process of becoming the new you that God wants you to be. He hooks it right up, right away. Man, we're going to talk about the new you. I'm, I'm hitting this one. First off, that you abstain from sexual immorality. I'm sure it was a problem back in Paul's day. In fact, I know from, from history and reading other things in church history and, and, and secular writing that this in their culture was a big deal. And I think I mentioned this last week. This is a problem. All of their sexual, uh, all of their spiritual worship, most of it included some sort of sexual act in their idol worship. And, and then uh, even within their culture, in, the Ro in Roman times when this was going on, in the Roman culture, they were, they were probably even more liberated sexually than, than we, what we saw here in the 60s. Basically, anything goes. And so it was an issue for the church at the time. And so he brings it up now. And he says, look, this is going to be the new you. And one of the major characteristics is God has a plan for this area of your life. And you need to recognize what that is. And be obedient to it. Okay, so abstain from sexual immorality that each one of you would know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who don't know God. Okay, so that's what we, that was the scripture for last week. I'm going to drag my glasses out of here now. Okay. They get sideways in there and then I can't get them out. I shouldn't stick them in there. Okay. It's getting ridiculous now. All right. So last week we, we learned, and I wanted to last week, I really wanted you to understand, and hopefully that came across, where works plays in your salvation doesn't. 
Where do works fit in then? Was I saved by works? No. Was I saved by obedience? No. I was saved by grace through faith. By grace alone, through faith alone. And if it's by grace, it has nothing to do with my own righteousness. In fact, it says, God himself sanctified you using his Holy Spirit so that you would understand. And, and, and he opened your eyes and opened your heart so you could understand the message of salvation. And that was completely an act of grace by faith. The faith or the grace was administered by your faith. But then still, he, he, he has these, these rules and these things I'm supposed to follow. But I wanted you to understand that following the rules is, is God's gift to you. It, isn't, it doesn't make God love you more. It doesn't save you. It doesn't keep you saved. But it's very important because God wants the best for his children, just like you would want for your children, and you give them rules, and you have guidelines for them and guardrails for them so that they don't wander off because what you want is the best for your children. God is the same way. And so we didn't want to take it and become legalistic about it or think Christianity is about moralism or Christianity is just we've got to follow a set of rules and, and I'm never going to be able to live up and it's just going to be a disaster. So I wanted you to understand from last week, God is giving us this, this one especially, and it's mentioned a lot because God knows this is one we struggle with as a people. We have this, even hormones inside of us that are telling us to, to do certain things, and, we, and the temptations are all over now more so than ever in my lifetime. Smartphone, you're one click away from seeing things you shouldn't see. And everything is, I mean, it's coming for you now. You don't have to seek it out anymore. It finds you if you're willing to sit and watch even an ad on television. And so the, the conditions for this to become a problem are very prevalent in the world we live in today. And so it's this very, very um, germane for today's church. And, and so he knew that was going to be a problem, but, but he gave us these guidelines so that because he knows, and we're going to see some of why he knows, he knows that when we err in this particular area of our life, that the consequences are bad for us. God died for the sins. God died for even the ones you're going to commit. And you're forgiven and there's no condemnation for you in Jesus Christ in uh, Romans um, chapter 8, verse 1. Doesn't mean that, that he ignores your sin. Doesn't mean that, um, you know, that he doesn't see it or that he doesn't discipline you, which he does. But he's going to tell us right here, I am, we're going to see it, I'm the avenger. When you violate my standards in this area of your life, there are going to be serious consequences and I love you so much that I am going to be very, very open, very, very specific. I'm going to say it a lot of times, and I'm going to make sure you understand that I own this part of you. And I have a plan for this part of your life. And when you violate my plan in this way, you are going to suffer. As we look out... And we see in our culture this anything goes and, and, hey, we're just expected to sleep together. That's how, that's how our culture works, right? This is it. We can go on a date and that's, that's, that's the expectation. It, it, and we can say, sure, 
You can do those things. You, you can look at the wrong things. You can be involved with this stuff. You can. It's possible. But it's going to cost you. Because this is a very sacred part of how God made you. And it violates him when we violate it. Okay. So, from the first one, from last week, we learned that God's wants his best for us. That our intimacy with God increases as we get more holy. And that there are two ways of living, God's way and man's way, that God has a plan for every single area of my life. And God has a plan for my sexuality, identity, and marriage. And he tells us what his plan is in his word. Just like I was showing the kids, there are a lot of things out there that look good. This one looked good. This one even, well, these kind of look good. But you're going to choke on it. And some things look really good, and, 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 but I can't trust that. I can't trust my emotions. I can't trust the carnal part of myself, the fleshly part of myself, because I am hardwired to want what I want. And most of the time, it's wrong. And a lot of times in this area of my life, the things that you feel, the things that you think are wrong according to God's plan. And he wants his best for you. And if you want God's best for your life, integrity in this area of your life is going to be critical. Sexual purity is very important to God. Why? So some of this we might have read last week. In 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20, there are a number of points in here they are going to tell us why this area is so important to God. Why does he talk about it so much? Why is it in there? Why are there so many things about this? Well, number one, flee from sexual immorality for every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexual immoral, immoral person sins against his own body. Every other sin, it says, is outside the body. But in this one, you are sinning against yourself. There is something special about this type of sin that is destructive to who you are. You were created in God's image. Here, here's what else we know. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So what this is telling me is this sin is one that I take into my body. And do you know that your body is the temple of God's Holy Spirit? And when you defile things in your body this way, you are defiling the temple. You remember back in the Old Testament when they would defile the temple, what would happen, Bob? That's right. They were, it was so sacred. Do you recognize, would, would you, I don't even want to say this, but would you come into this church right here in front of everyone and commit adultery? No. That's what we're doing. We're defiling the temple of God and even though, well, we'll talk about this later, even though you might think you're doing it in secret, you're not. So God is very, very clear that this is a part of our lives that he owns. And he goes on to say it right here at the end. Don't you recognize 
Now, this applies to not just this area of your life, but every area of your life. But in this area particularly, you think, and I think, these are choices that I get to make. That I own my sexuality. That, hey, as long as it's consenting adults, it doesn't really hurt anybody. But we're going to see that it does. It hurts everyone. And so you are not your own. And, and we have to get that attitude and that mentality in our life on every portion of it. I am no longer my own. God owns me. I'm a steward of God. Everything I have, my gifts, my talents, my time, my identity, my sexuality, every bit of that belongs to God and he purchased it with a price that you cannot even imagine and he deserves to own you. But without visible restraints, can the slave really serve the master? He allows us to sin. How then do we find that way where we, if we are truly stewards of God in every area of our life, how do we find success and victory in this area? Do you not know you were bought with a price? So this area is ex ex especially significant to God, and that's why he spends so much time on it in his scripture. Okay, so now we're finally going to get to the passage for this week. That no one then transgress or wrong his brother. There are two words going on there, that no one transgress or wrong. And the transgress word... I'm going to find it here somewhere. The transgress word is huperbaino, which means to overreach or go beyond. Okay, so no one should go beyond God's limits here, should go overreach and do something they shouldn't be doing and wrong. And this is probably not a good translation in the ESV because the word really means to defraud. To defraud or covetous gain by being false or steal or trick. You think, no, really? I'm tricking someone else? You know, I'm defrauding? I'm stealing from them? Well, hold it. We're both, we're both on board with this. It's, we're consenting adults. We can. No, that's not what it says. That no one defraud his brother in this matter. There is a cost to sin in this area. You were created by God. You have now left the land that you were in before and become this, and God is making you into this new person. And when you violate God's plan in this area, we're going to see what some of those things are. But there is always a cost. People think they can be casual out there with their sex life and, and, and it's, okay, I had some pleasure and it was fun and, and it didn't really hurt anybody. And the Bible says exactly the opposite. We're going to see how it hurts you. One of the first things it says is, uh, I'm the avenger. And that's kind of an interesting word, but it means to bring justice, that I am the punisher and the bringer of justice. Now, we know, uh, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. We know that, right? So, so we're not supposed to do it, but God says, guess what? I, in the end, and we know this from Scripture, right? In the end, 
You're either going to be an object of God's wrath or you're going to be an object of God's love and mercy and grace. But there is going to be those who are an object of God's wrath. And he will be doing it in complete justice. Meaning that they will be getting everything that they deserved and in fact everything they wanted in eternity without God. But God also says, I will avenge and there are earthly consequences to violating God's plan in this area. He is, I mean, Scripture is full of it. You can look at what he talked about in Romans chapter 1 where he allowed them to, 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 to violate this area and gave them over. He said, look, I will give you over. That, that's, that's a very scary word. You do not want God to give you over. Basically say, look, I'm done with you. And you're going to just go out and you're going to find out how horrible it is to live a life of sin. So just be gone because I'm done. And they, we see what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. And the main sin they were talking about there was a sexual sin. And he destroyed them with fire and brimstone from the sky. So he's saying, look, there's always going to be eternal consequences for those outside of Christ. But in this area, there are consequences right here on this earth for violating. <clears throat> let, me, let me read you. Um, in verse uh, in, in Ephesians chapter 5 verses um, 5 through 7 for you may be sure of this that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who, who is covetous which is, that is an idolater has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things the wrath of God is coming down upon the sons of disobedience therefore you meaning the Christians whom, to whom this letter is written do not become partners with them God is going to send his wrath. And, and I'm not going to get into telling you, okay, this was God's judgment on mankind for this, or this is what happened because of this. I don't know, and you don't either. But what we do know is that there is a price to pay for sexual immorality. And God's wrath is going to come down upon those who violate it. Don't get caught up in the mess. Now, I don't know how many there were, but, you know, I don't care if you remember that... Uh, uh, they, Abraham was bargaining with God. God, would, for this many, for 50, would you not destroy it? For 40, would you not destroy it? But, but he got, how many did he get down to, you know? 10, that's right. So I'm thinking, well, hey, maybe 10 innocent people got caught up in this, but that was the cost when the wrath of God came down upon those who were being sexually immoral. They may have been caught up in it. Nobody gets out of this one unscathed. If, if you have this issue in your life, you are going to pay a price now. Now, it, it won't be God's wrath. I don't believe it will be God's wrath. You might be caught up and you might be a, a collateral damage in God's wrath, but he is going to discipline you. And you're not going to be able to get away from it. So as we told you beforehand, God is the avenger. He is going to bring justice as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. And this is what it means. Hey, we told you about this. Don't be surprised. Don't think you're going to escape. We told you and we're going to tell you again. This is coming if you're involved in sexual immorality. For God has called us 
not, <clears throat> not called us for impurity, but for holiness. <clears throat> God's called us to holiness. God's called us to holiness. In fact, he's done more than that. So one of the things I wanted to have you understand today is on the other side of the grace thing, is this, or on the other side of the, the, the legalism is the grace, free grace. Hey, I'm saved by grace, therefore now it doesn't really matter what I do because God's forgiven all of my sins, past, present, and future. And so let's just sin that grace will abound. That's what it says. So Paul says, oh, may that never be. He says that in Romans. Because God didn't just say, look, I am going to free you up. I'm going to save you by grace, and then I'm going to make you free. How many of you have ever been a slave? Trick question, raise your hand. Because the scripture says you are. In fact, it says you're slave to something. Whether you agree with it or not, or whether you believe it or not, whether you understand it or not, whether you recognize it or not, you are a slave to one of two things. You're a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. And so God didn't just call us to be righteous. He didn't just say, look, I, I, I don't want you over here anymore. I need you over here for your own benefit. Not only is he just calling you, he's saying, look, whether you recognize it or not, no longer are you a slave. I cut the ties of your slavery to your old sin nature. It's still there. You're still dragging it around. You still have this carnal part of yourself that, that wants what it wants, and it's going to have a lot of temptation, and you're, he's going to be telling you, yeah, you can do this. But I've cut this, the bonds of slavery, but now I've made you a slave to righteousness. And so when you do this, you're not going to get the benefits. If you're going to sin in this area, you think it's going to be good, and maybe you'll experience some pleasure, but you're going to be miserable because I have made you a slave to righteousness. Let me read some of that in Romans chapter 6. Are we then <clears throat> to sin? No. Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one to whom you obey, whether it's sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. So obedience is, leads to righteousness. That's where God wants us. And so now I'm, <laughs> I'm going to make you a slave. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of the teaching to which you were committed. So I've given you a new heart, and I've given you a new standard, and my standard is holiness in this area because I love you so much, and I recognize the damage that is done when you are disobedient. So having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, but just... As you were once presenting your bodies as slaves to impurity, not called to impurity, now, in lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to your sanctification. We look back in verse 3. It is God's will for us to be sanctified. And so we have to present our members to righteousness. That's that decision-making process. We're going to decide those temptations are still going to be there. Am I going to present myself and then dirty up the temple of God by being involved in sexual immorality in any form? Or am I going to present myself to righteousness? 
And that's the decision-making process. And just like we did with the kids, the decision-making process is only going to work in this area when you completely turn it over to God. Because almost all the time, your mind, your body, and sometimes your heart is telling you the opposite message. And it is so very easy to give in. It is so, I mean, if you were a drug addict, it would be like walking around with a drug dealer giving away free samples on every corner. That's how prevalent the ability to sin in this area is. It's everywhere. And so if you're going to find victory in this area, if you're struggling with this and you need victory in it, you need to turn it over to God completely because it's incessant. So present yourselves to righteousness. Now your present so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, which leads to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. I didn't have to feel guilty. I look out there and I see, yeah, okay, pagans are going to be pagans. And, and if they think they're going to find satisfaction, they're going to do it. But according to God, there's a price to pay even for them, even in this life. Now that you've been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus so we've seen here that God has called us not for this not for impurity we are living in two different places you were once over here living in this and he says now have nothing to do with that I'm taking you from your old self to your new self and it is a different world you cannot you cannot have your foot in both sides of this. If you are dabbling in this in any way, it's going to tell us the consequences in verse 8. For whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives us the Holy Spirit. And so the word there for disregard is an athaneto, which is to cast aside, reject, so what God is telling you is, look, if you're trying to keep me at arm's length, I know your sin is there, and, and he's great, he says, right, in, in 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he's faithful to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But he's saying, look, when you reject me in this area, you are keeping me at arm's length, and that will not work for you. You are casting aside God when you do this. You recognize that that's the reality. That when we sin in this area, in our thoughts or in our deeds, we are taking God and saying, nope, not now. And you were hardwired as a Christian to need God's presence always in your life, and you are pushing him away, and you're standing out there in the cold and in the dark and wondering, where did God go? That's how serious this problem is in your relationship with God. Therefore, whoever disregards this, not disregards not man, but God who gives us his Holy Spirit. And in the end, we see that all sins are ultimately against God. David wrote this. In Psalm 51, 1 through 4, and he had committed some horrid sins in his life. He committed adultery and murder. 
And he finally recognized, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. God knows. The things we think we do in secret, God knows, and they are there. Thankfully, though, God granted his prayer and did wash him and did use him and did love him and did forgive him. For against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. He rec- and there was a cost. I don't have you remember that. Because of his infidelity, because of his sin with Bathsheba, his baby died. And he's saying, God, I understand. I deserved every bit of that because against you only have I sinned. I might have sinned against Bathsheba. I might have sinned against uh, her husband and had him killed. But in the end, I sinned against you. So we have to recognize that when we sin in this area, you may think, well, I, I, I only hurt myself. No. Or I only hurt the other person and myself. No. Or I only hurt everybody that might have been involved in this. No. You've sinned against God. Now, the other people in your life might not forgive you, but if you take this to God and confess and repent, he will forgive you. So I want to close with this. And Two things. Um, for our anniversary uh, last night, Carol and I went out to a movie to see The Voice of Freedom. I don't know what you've heard about it, but it's about sexual trafficking of kids. It was heartrending. Two million children, two million children a year, I think it said a year, are being taken into sexual slavery because people are sinning in this area with no restraints. Now, the people they're doing are doing it for money. But the people who are, are the customers are doing it to indulge themselves in a way that is sickening. My point there is there are horrible, horrible consequences when this area becomes violated so badly. <clears throat> if this is an issue in your life now, you need to repent. It's, it's only going to end. It's, God says, I will not be mocked. What you reap, you're going to sow. If you're sowing something, don't be surprised when you reap the consequences from it. If you have sexual sin in your past, doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. doesn't mean that you're not worthy. It doesn't, God is not asking you to feel shame for the rest of your life, but you just need to take it to him, confess of it, and recognize that he will forgive you. All of us have sinned in some way, but I see people and I've talked to people who are carrying lifelong burdens of shame and self-loathing and feeling unworthy of love from other humans and, and, and other and even God because they have violated in this area and I'm telling you there is an answer 
And all you have to do as the same as all your other sins is take it to God. This is not the unforgivable sin. But you do need restoration. And you do need to take it to God. And recognize that um, we, don't, we don't get to judge you for your past. And we're not going to. Hopefully. That's between you and God. And you can find peace. If you have violated this in the past... You need to take that to the foot of the cross and let it go. Let's pray. Dear Father, I just I, I thank you for your for your guardrails in this area. It, it, it's a hard area for so many people, and and it's easy to, to cross that line. And your your flesh is telling you over and over, it's okay, it's okay, and it's not. So, Father, thank you for your guardrails, but then thank you for your Holy Spirit that's it's in there, and it's, it's helping us to feel miserable when we do it, and, and, it's, and it's also guiding us away from it as we become slaves, sometimes without visible restraints, but we're still your slaves, and, and you want it, and you're going to lead us in, and sometimes it's through consequences and tough love. So, I'm grateful for that, but Lord... Mainly, I guess, mainly it's don't let us compromise. Don't let us compromise or think this isn't important. Or, or, or let the church compromise its views of sexuality and morality and identity and marriage and accept in those things that you have said are wrong. Lord, help us to keep your standard. Even if we fail at it, always uphold the standard. And then... Repent, Lord, when we sin so that we can find renewal and forgiveness. And I, I, I'm so grateful, God, that you are the forgiving God. I'd have given up on me a long, long time ago. But Father, thank you for that. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. And help us not to take advantage. We already do, but more than necessary, I guess. So we praise you for saving us and Lord. We praise you for changing us. In Jesus' name, amen.